And this week, I'm going to be sharing something with you that comes from the words of Jesus that, that, that the writer Matthew captures in Matthew 11, 28. And I'm going to read that to you. Jesus is quoted as saying this by Matthew. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Everybody say rest. We're going to be talking today how to rest. Let's pray as we get started. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to come and hear your words. We don't take lightly the words of Jesus as he speaks to us and he offers us rest. We thank you that we're ready to come and hear and listen today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So what is Jesus talking about when he offers rest? Is he offering us a nap? Some of us could use a nap and we're like, what's that? Others are like, what's a nap? I don't know what that is. Maybe it's a a full eight hours of sleep Jesus is promising. Some of us are like, also, like, I would love that. Maybe it's a day off every week on the weekend and have some time off to do what you'd like to do. And maybe it's a vacation. Is he talking about that? I don't think he's talking about any of those things. In fact, what Jesus is doing here is he's activating a pattern that the readers and the hearers would understand. And what I like about patterns is patterns can help you to understand what's coming next, right? Like, I got some real easy patterns up here I'm going to demonstrate this with. And so we got triangle, square, triangle, square. Oh, good job. Y'all figured out the pattern, right? You figured out the pattern by looking at what happened. Now, I got another one here. This is a a number one. Five, ten... 15, 20, 25, 30, 35. 35. Easy, right? These are easy patterns. The problem is, though the Bible doesn't have easy patterns, they're not always as easy as just thinking it's a triangle or it's 35. It has some very complex patterns. And, you know, uh, I think about that as like, uh, you know, I'm, I, I like sports and whether it's uh, you can figure out in baseball a certain tells that a pitcher will tell you what kind of pitch they're going to throw. They call that tipping their pitches. You can look when they do this, they're going to throw that kind. And in football, which we have the Super Bowl coming up, like, you, you know, t- teams learn to study game film and they figure out what their opponent is. And what, what, what happens is, is the more you understand the patterns the easier it is to win. And the same goes with life. If we understand the patterns of Scripture, it's easier to win. We can unlock the wisdom. So when we're talking about how to rest, let's go to the Scripture and let's unlock the patterns. Starting in Genesis 2, right there at the beginning, we're going to read this. It says, by the seventh day, everyone say seventh. By the seventh day, we're going to see a pattern here. God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the and made it holy because it, on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So here you see God works. He finishes the work. He rests. He blessed the rest. And then he sets it apart as holy. But one does not a pattern make. You cannot determine a pattern after just seeing one thing. 
That's the problem with a lot of people in their life. If one thing happens to them and they see a pattern, but that's not a pattern. Let's go to another mention. And this is, uh, that has to do with, uh, in, in the book of Exodus, God brings his people out of Egypt and he's providing for them food, a, a, a food-like substance that was like bread-like. And in fact, the, the name for it is manna, which in the Hebrew means, what is it? We don't even know what we're eating. It's like, you heard of mystery meat. They're like, mystery, whatever this is. And so God gives it to them, and here's what his rules about it are. He says in Exodus 16, 26, six days you are to gather it, but on the Seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. Here's what I love. God says, okay, six days, it's going to be out there. Seventh day, none. But look what what happens. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the, they go out on the seventh day to gather, but they find none. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where they are on the? No one is to go out. So God's saying this to the people. I'll provide for you if you trust me. Just trust me. I'll provide for you. And you know what the people's response is? We don't trust you. You say, they don't say that. Oh, yeah, they do. Literally, God commands them to do something that requires them to trust in him, and then they do the opposite. I mean, that sounds unfamiliar to me, right? (laughs) So the next mention, because you really got to have three before you can really tell what the pattern, any any pattern, you can't even do with two. You got to have at least three to figure out a pattern. So the next thing, in Exodus 20, Not only does he talk about the rest, he actually puts it into law. Exodus 20, Exodus 20, 8 through 10, he says, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, set apart. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. So he says, remember it, keep it holy. What is that Sabbath? It's an invitation to holy rest. And you see this rhythm of seven days. He's like, it has to be a rhythm of your life. It has to be a pattern in your life. In fact, he even elevates the pattern even further. When we go to the book of Leviticus, and I know some of you are doing like read the Bible in a year, you know, and then you get to like Leviticus and you're like, what is going on here? Why is this technical manual like right in the middle of the scriptures. And at times we can miss there's some wisdom in there. I know there's a list of a lot of names and a lot of rules and a lot of regulations and a lot of policies. It's just like at work. Nobody reads the policy manual. And here he's given us the policy manual of wisdom is there that we see is not only was there the Sabbath that they celebrated every week, that God set festivals throughout Leviticus, Leviticus 23 is where you see the list of them, he sets these festivals, and it's interesting, there's six festivals. What's six plus one? Seven. So God says there's seven observances for you to do. He's elevating the pattern. But that's not all. 
He keeps going to elevate the pattern. In Exodus 23, verses 10 and 11, he says, For six years you are to sow your fields, harvest the crops. They were mostly of farming society. But during the seventh year, he elevates it even further. He's like, not only are you to have this weekly thing, and then you're going to have these festivals that are seven days each, seven sevens. He says, every seventh year, what I want you to do is let the land lie unplowed and unused. What do you want us to do, Jesus? What do you want us to do, God? Can you say that again? What? Not only are we supposed to every week have a day off where we do nothing, now you want us to have one year out of seven where we don't plant crops? We'll die. We'll starve. What are we supposed to do? But that's not all. But wait, there's more. In Leviticus 25, he says this, count off seven Sabbath years. So in other words, those seven of those Sabbath years that you took off there. So that seven Sabbath years amount to the period of 49 years, seven times seven, 49 years. He said, then have the trumpet sounded everywhere on the 10th day of the seventh month on the day of atonement. Sound the trumpet throughout your land. Consecrate the 50th year. So in other words, he said, now we're going to have what they called the year of Jubilee after all those seven sevens. Where all debts are canceled. If you bought land, it has to go back to the original owners. Like, he elevates the pattern. And throughout Scripture, I could, I could go on all day. I actually had 60 pages of notes of examples from Scripture where this happens. I didn't, I'm not going to preach all those. Y'all are like, it's hot in here. Thank you. But time after time, God brings this up. And here's the interesting thing. He warns the people what will happen if they don't obey this. And at times, we can look back to the Old Testament and be like, it seems like a different person than Jesus is in charge here. Because it seems, he seems so judgy. He seems so judgmental. He seems so angry. He seems so like he's out there punishing people. And I look at that and I just say, like, you're not understanding the pattern and the context here. Because God, for 400, so they get into the land, and for 490 years, almost 500 years, God sends people to warn them. He sends prophets, people with special messages. They come from God and like, hey, don't forget God. Don't forget the holy rest. Don't forget to set apart. Remember, we are as a people are actually set apart for him. They're like, hmm, No. Then he sends another. They kill some of those. He sends more. And for 490 years, he sends all these prophets, and you can read all about them. And if you don't understand the context and the, the overall timeline, you could be like, well, it just seems like God was just out to punish them. He did everything he could to get their attention. He's like, I got these laws. I got this Levitical law. I even did the law again, and I put it in a book called The Second Law, Deuteronomy. I, I even re-clarified it like a good parent. What are you missing? He sends all these prophets. He sends people to speak and priests and kings, and they ignore it. All these patterns that they could see and warnings. 
They miss it. They don't keep the Sabbath year. They don't keep the Sabbath. For about 490 years, they ignore the Jubilee. They ignore the Sabbath year. And it's interesting. Something happens at that point. That the prophets all told them. They said, if you don't do this, you will go to exile. Will we really go to exile? Is things going to really go bad? Is it really going to happen? And guess what? It happened. Exactly what God warned them would happen, happened. And we can look at that and say, whoa, God looks so angry and mean there. Actually, no, he did everything he could to just like divert their path. But they were so stubborn that they're like, I'm going to do it anyway. I know God said if I do that, I will have these consequences, but I'm going to do it anyway and see if he will really do that. And he really did. And so if you take seven into 490, if you divide 490 by seven, you get 70. 70 years is how long they were in exile because they refused to enter into God's holy rest. So he's like, guess what? I'm going to give the land rest. All the rest you should have been giving the land, I'm giving the land rest. All the rest you should have been taking to reflect upon my goodness and my holiness, I'm giving it to you. I'm going to force you to take a vacation. And so when we come back to Jesus here in Matthew, Matthew, as a writer, was a Hebrew who understood the patterns in fact, when you, his book, his gospel, there's four gospels all written to different people groups. Matthew is written to people who would have been Jewish by birth and raised up and understood the Hebrew scriptures. And he writes what Jesus is saying here, and he says it, and I'm going to read it again. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Because all that exile happened. They get back into the land, and they still aren't experiencing God's best rest. Because they still haven't learned their lesson. So Jesus is here teaching this. And in the very next three verses down comes Matthew 12. Again, remember in the scriptures, there actually wasn't any verses and numbers added in there. We added that in there to help us find it, right? It just, it's like a, a, you know, mile markers, like, hey, it's here, it's here. There's really not real mile markers on the earth. Like, we put those there so we can find things. So in the scripture, there's not, it's not there. We put them there to find there. And Jesus, the very next thing, he's going with his disciples, They're out in the field. It's the Sabbath. And they're hungry. And they pick some wheat and eat it. And the Pharisees see it and they're like, what are y'all doing? You're breaking the Sabbath. You're not supposed to do that. And in verse 8, Jesus responds to them. He says, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. What are y'all talking about? I created this thing. I made it. I'm the Lord of this. And remember, the idea of the Sabbath was the holy rest with God. So he goes on to say in verse 9, it says, going on from that place, he went to their synagogue. This is where the teaching of the word would happen. And a man with a shriveled hand was there. 
he had some sort of deformity in his hand. Looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus. So here they are. They're trying to trap Jesus. They asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? It's like, it's a trap. I don't know if they like put him in a seat where everybody could see him. I don't know what happened here, but it's a trap. It's a setup. And Jesus isn't even phased by their setup. He goes, he said to them, if any man has a sheep, which is another pattern in scripture, by the way, sheep or people, like you look at that throughout there, we are sheep. I know people don't like that. Like, oh, that's derogatory. Well, yeah, you know, like having worked with people, like people are sheep. Yes, including me. I get it. That's another pattern. We don't have time for that pattern. He says, if any of you have a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, Will you not take hold of it and lift it out? That was permitted that if you had an animal and it was harmed on the Sabbath, you were allowed to go rescue it. So Jesus is saying that. He goes, how much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And here's what Jesus is really saying to them in the, in the Jason Martin paraphrase version. Y'all done missed the point. You missed the whole point. You missed it all. The pattern's right there. And you said circle instead of triangle. You said 40 instead of 35. You missed the point. You didn't get the pattern. So how do we not miss the point of rest? Number one, we've got to remember the purpose. We've got to remember the purpose. The purpose is to keep it holy. It's about wisdom, not rules. See, they were thinking rules. In fact, they had so many rules around. You think Leviticus has a lot of rules? And all these books in the Old Testament have a lot of rules? Like, those guys would love, like, again, they wanted to do the right thing, so they had to have come up with, like, all these clarifications of the rules, right? Like, if we think, like, Tax code is complex. Like, these guys were like, we hold, hold our Bible. We got you. Like, this is going to be complex. In fact, they would have a rule for, like, how many steps you could take on the Sabbath. And they didn't have a Fitbit or, like, an Apple Watch or anything. No garments. Like, they just, but they, were count, they would count one, two, three. Oh, hey, you're at your, you're at your step limit. Stop. They missed the point. Missed the point. It's not about rules. It's about wisdom. Psalm 46.10 says, it really, the psalmist captures the heart. He says, be still and know that I'm God. The purpose of the Sabbath is really to show us this. You can do nothing and God loves you and accepts you. In fact, that is when he accepts you and loves you. It is in doing nothing. That's what the Sabbath is, that he accepts you and he loves you and he blesses you. He really just wanted to show us from the beginning, like, you can't earn my blessing. You can't earn my love. I've given it to you when you do nothing. And you stop and pause with me. Now, example of this was in my life this last week. I was actually not here last weekend. Uh, I drove up to my home state of Missouri to uh, be a part of my daughter, my oldest daughter's wedding. Uh, my oldest daughter, Kat, got married. Our whole family drove up there, and we left last, uh, you know, Tuesday, and 
we, we got in the car, and we picked up our high schooler, and we, we got on the road. And about an hour out, like I'm, I'm outside of Austin, you know, doing that 130, you know, uh, loop around so you don't have to go through Austin. You're going to pay that toll road. And I'm driving definitely the speed limit, not over. Uh, it definitely was not 100 miles an hour. It definitely wasn't. Uh, and I'm driving, and I realize, oh, we forgot the Nintendo Switch. And I got kids, Right? And they get bored. And so it was fine. The trip there was fine. We kind of broke it up. But I'm like, we can't turn around. We can't go back. We can't go back for that. We get there, you know, and we have a great time. And we go to Grandpa's house. And, like, Grandpa's in his upper 80s, and he talks a lot. And, like, the kids were just sitting there with Grandpa, listening. I mean, I'm like, whose kids are these? These are amazing kids. They sat there. They laughed at all grandpa's jokes. And you know what grandpa's jokes are because your grandpa tells the same jokes. <laughs> they laugh at all the grandpa jokes. They're there. Then it gets to the wedding. And then here's the problem with like weddings is like they're long when you're a part of it. You had to get there in the morning and we're there tonight and I'm officiating it. So we're going to do all this stuff. And it's like, and my son's eight and I'm just thinking like, and then it, he's the ring bearer. And then the flower girl comes in, and guess what she has? A Nintendo Switch. The exact same one with the exact same case we got. And so I'm thinking like, oh, no, we're going to be here like 14 hours today. There's no TV. Like, we don't give our kids their a phone to look at. We just don't do that, right? But I'm like, the Switch would have been a good thing to have here. Like, the Bucky's coloring book that we got is not, not sufficient, But in the middle of that, in the wedding, I was like, hey, bu buddy, like, do you want me to go get your Bucky's coloring book? No, I'm good. And here's a picture of our family. We were all together. My daughter in the middle of getting married, and then my two daughters were in the wedding, and my son was ring security. He nailed it. My beautiful wife, beautiful bride, beautiful bridesmaids, and then just a goofy guy over there. Uh, what I loved about it was this, is like, the flower girl did nothing but the switch the whole night after she did her part. Like barely just finished her part and then she went and sat down and switched it up. But my son, what he did is he walked around the relatives he don't even know and talked to them. And he doesn't do that. Like he, like, and our family was there together and we put away all the devices. And I just wonder if sometime God's like, would you leave it at home? Would you shut it off and just be here with us? And it was amazing. Even the ride home, I'm like, nobody's fighting. I mean, I made it home in like record time, 14 hours and 10 minutes, but all driving the speed limit, of course, and stopping for potty breaks. But it's just the moment of just, just be, just be, just be, and then just, just being was blessed. So let's remember the purpose of rest. Number two. How you rest determines how you run. How you rest determines how you run. Now, I know what some of y'all are like, I don't run, pastor. Someone's got to be chasing me for me to run. Well, guess what? That's too late to run. But here's the truth of the matter is, according to Paul, we're all in a race. He writes that over and over. It's one of his most used examples of what life is like. He says, it's a race. You're running a race. I didn't sign up for this race. I am a runner. 
So it's always amazing to me, like, when I go to a race and there's, like, some, like, guy there who came with his family and you could tell. I don't know why we're here. It's, like, 6 in the morning. I only run to the refrigerator. But Paul writes this. He says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way to get the prize. He's like, you got to run to win. And, and I've experienced this because I am a runner, and I run marathons, which is like 20. People are like, how long is that? It's like 26.2 miles. That's how long a marathon is. And I remember my first marathon. It was in February 2020. And I decided I was going to sign up for the Austin Marathon because it's the only thing that worked for my schedule. Well, I don't know if you know this about Austin. Austin's very hilly. So I, I, I did that, but then the day before you go and you pick up all your race stuff and I'm getting ready, my wife was going to do like a 5K that day and we go down there. And like, I, I, I like Austin. I know it's weird, but I like going around Austin. I like hanging, I like finding. So that day, instead of resting for the race, I decided we're going to walk the whole thing around. And 14 miles is what my phone said I ran, I walked that day. The day before I'm about to run 26 miles, I walked 14 miles. So I get out there and I'm like ready to go. You know, I didn't get great sleep the night because I had to stay in a hotel and we're like ready to go. And we, we took the bus into Austin from like our hotel. And that was a whole another experience for another message. And I get out there and I'm like, I'm ready to go. And the adrenaline happens and I go out there and I'm just like, you know, 10 miles good, 13 miles good, 14 miles good, 15 miles good, 16, 17, 18. Oh. I start crying because I'm like, you get emotional. It's an emotional experience. And I crash out because I didn't rest well. Now, fast forward to this past December in 2022, the week before my marathon, I I, like, did all kinds of resting, all kinds of sleeping. I made sure I was, I, I actually was on a business trip, but, like, made sure I didn't have to get up early any time, and I could go to bed early, and I got tons of sleep, and I did nothing. They're out there playing basketball and pickleball and every, you know, golf, and I'm just like, <sighs> I'm just resting. And from that time to that time, my first time to this last time, I shaved 36 minutes off my marathon time. That's a lot of time. Most of us can't run 30. When I first started, I couldn't even run 36 minutes, yet alone shave 36 minutes off my time because how I rested determined how I ran. So remember the purpose and remember that how you rest is how you run. Number three, know this. Know how you recharge. Know how you recharge. Know how you recharge I have all kinds of different batteries in my house that are rechargeable for the drill and for the, you know, the weed eater and all these different things. Like they all have different batteries and they all have times to recharge and ways they recharge. And they all have chargers that you have to use and your phone. And you have to find the right, you know, adapter and iPad and, and laptop. And you got to keep the cord to, to, to know how they recharge. And they all have a different adapter to recharge. And people are a lot like that. You have to know how you recharge. So it's amazing to me that most people don't know the, how they charge, how they recharge. And the idea 
of rest really is this, is that in understanding in the Hebrew, Pastor Aaron talked a little about this in week two, work and worship are the same word. So I don't recharge just so I can take another nap. I recharge so I can work that is worship to God. I knew I wasn't going to get a lot of amens about that. Work and worship in Hebrew are the same word. When God put Adam in the garden to work it, it's the same word as they would use for the priest who would work in the temple to bring the sacrifices to worship God. And so some ways we recharge. Some practicalness of this is, is, is understand this. It might seem counterintuitive, but a lot of people will actually realize this. Working out, doing some physical activity actually recharges you. Well, no, it doesn't. I don't have energy to do that. I get it. That's what you think. But it actually recharges you emotionally, spiritually, mentally. There's something about that. Some people, again, you got to know what kind of person you are. They recharge with being alone, just having alone time. Any alone time people in here? You're like, that's me. I need some time to myself to be alone. Now, I would just say this. you got to find some way to make that productive too, right? To read, to have a hobby, maybe. That's one thing you could do. And I will just say this. is like it might seem like this is recharging, but binging TV is not a good recharge strategy. Number, the next thing is, is some people actually have one-on-one time. There's a special someone, a person, a friend, a, a spouse, a, 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 a someone who helps them recharge. It's a life-giving relationship, a one-on-one. That's for me. Me and my wife and, 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 and friends that I will have, like, they're recharging to me. The next is like small group, a small group of friends or like, uh, you know, a, a little gathering of people. That can be recharging for people. You got you to gotta find your circle. That's why we love small groups here. We're, we're launching a seeds uh, campaign, which is just really understanding this is that what we do today affects our tomorrow. The seeds that you plant in your life will determine what you get uh, tomorrow in your life, in your future. We're doing a groups campaign. We have groups opening starting today. You can go out per- Purchase the book. I don't say that because we don't make money off this. We actually are losing money on every book we sell for you to you at $10. We don't do it to make money. We do it to put a resource in your hand. What I love about this is like it has old school, like memorize these verses thing. I'm telling you, that, that's what we need today. That's what we need today. Feed, feed on God's word. So you can get signed up. If that's the way you recharge, find a group. Some of us like the big party. They like to go places and there'd be lots of people, the extreme extroverts where it's like, I get life from a lot of people being around. Well, we even have opportunities to do that. Next weekend, Pastor Aaron will be back. We're going to have football Sunday. We always go big. It's one of our biggest weekends. P- grab some bring bites on the way out. Bring someone to church with you. We're going to have fun. We're going to be wearing our jerseys. We're going to have food. We're going to have a short message uh, that, that is around football, and we're going to be able to do that. So know how you recharge. How you rest determines how you run. Remember the purpose. The last one, I just want to give you a warning. Like the Old Testament prophets, I want to give you a warning. If you do not rest, rest will come for you. It's how it works. 
It's the reason why if you don't get good sleep, you can't just take a nap and it gets all better. And you're still, you wake up and you're like, I'm still tired. If you don't create rhythms of rest, rest will come for you. And God even warns the people. And because when we don't rest, what we're really saying to God is like, God, I don't trust you. I don't believe what you've said is true. And ultimately what we're saying is this. I'm my own God. We become practical atheists. Like, God, I'm going to just, you're my lifeline when I need something, but I'm not going to do what you say. I'm my own God. He even warns them in in Leviticus 26, my last verse I'm going to read, 26, 24. He says, I myself will be hostile toward you and will afflict your sins seven times over. It's eventually what happened to them. They went to the exile. God had to do something to get their attention. And I was reading something in a book this week because this is something, when I preach all this message, understand this, this is I struggle with this. In fact, Pastor Aaron telling me I had to preach this, I'm like, no, I don't want to preach this. I want to talk about this. Number one, I work so hard, I don't think most people work hard. And I'm like, whoa, that was judgy. I'm just being real. That's what we do here. I was like, God, these people don't need to hear about rest. They need to hear about more work. I was like, and, and, he, and God's like, really? And I went back through my notes. And again, like I said, 60 pages of notes just walking through. It's like, oh, I missed it. I missed the point. And I was reading this book. It was called Leading on Empty. It's by a guy named Wayne Cordero, and he says this. The Sabbath acknowledges the completed work of God. Violating the Sabbath rest by working is a statement that we are doing, what we are doing on the Sabbath is as important as what God did in creation. Wow, that hurts. Desisting on the Sabbath simply expresses that our work is insignificant compared to his. Our works, even our ministry activities and benevolent activities, should always give way to his designs for the day. We have learned to rest when the work is done, but the fact of the matter is the work will never be done. There will always be more to do. So the Sabbath rest becomes a command we respond to, not as a result of nothing left to do. It is a part of our obedience, not a consequence of our expedience and industriousness. Let us remember to choose rest. Let us remember to to, to figure out how we recharge. Let us remember that how we rest determines how we run. And let us remember the purpose of rest. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this message. We believe that it is your word, from your word. We see the pattern plainly laid out for us that you desire for us to enter into your holy, set-apart rest, to respond to who you are. That you love us no matter, but we are loved when we do nothing, when we stop and sit in your presence.